poetry became a resistance against injustice for me. Poetry made me look to the future. Poetry opened a window of hope for me. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Art Persists podcast, a series by Bosler Arts offering a glimpse into the life of artists and activists from all over the world, here to share their stories with you, the listener. My name's Georgia and in this episode we speak to Kurdish journalist and poet Nadim Tafent. Nadim is from Hakkari province on the border between Iraq and Iran and now lives in Turkey. Between 2012 and 2016 he worked as an English news editor and reporter for Daisal News Agency. Nadim was arrested on May the 12th, 2016 for his journalism. He was then released on November the 29th, 2022, after six years and seven months behind bars. He now continues to work in journalism. In this episode, Nadim talks about his horrific experience behind bars, but also the role that poetry and solidarity from others played in really keeping him through surviving those days. Nadim also reads some of his beautiful poetry and he reads it for us in English for the very first time, so it's a real honour. We're also joined by poet Ege Dunda, who comes online with us and also shares some poetry in an open letter he wrote to Nadim while he was imprisoned. Hope you enjoy. So Nadim, it's wonderful to have you on the Upsys podcast. I've been such a huge fan of your work for so long and it's honestly an honour to have you here. We start every episode of the Upsys podcast asking our guests the same question, which is to think about maybe a poem or a song or a piece of art, anything that you can think of that has inspired your life or your career. Does anything come to mind when I ask you that question? Uh, thank you. At the very beginning of my uh, everything, uh, I am deeply grateful uh, to you for this unique chance uh, and opportunity. Uh, I want to talk about uh, a poem named I Have Worn Shackles From Your Longing by Kurdish poet Ahmed Arif. Uh, when I first read this poem uh, in, I think, high school, poetry began to take a completely uh, different place in my life. Uh, and this resumed until Tuesday, today. Poetry was a completely different field that challenged uh, other literary genres. Uh, and I was, I was very lucky to uh, realize this at a young age. Mm. And what was it about that poem that really spoke to you? Do you remember what it was? Yeah, Ahmed Arif wrote this poem about longing to a loud person, maybe mm. uh, Starling. Maybe I will read it uh, sometime later. Perfect. And Nadim, tell us a little bit about your early life. Where did you grow up and what was life like? Georgia, I was born in a very crowded family. <laughs> <laughs> Having a crowded family, I think, has both advantage and disadvantage but um, totally i like to the crowd uh, <laughs> after so many years in prison yeah. in isolation of course uh, a crowded family is good for me i was born in in the easternmost part of turkey my hometown named hakari is 
on the border of Iraq and Iran. Mm. Uh, I am from Kurdistan in a way. Yeah. Uh, but this word is forbidden uh, and uh, objectionable in Turkey. As you can see from this, uh, I am a Kurdish uh, citizen. Life was not really easy for uh, the Kurdish people in Turkey for maybe decades to mm. uh, now. Because uh, I grew up in a, a low-intensity war environment. Uh, the first day I started school, I was confronted with a language I didn't know, Turkish. Mm. There was no education in my mother tongue, Kurdish. And uh, we didn't know Turkish in the first years of school. Can you imagine that? I don't know, but it is that it's what to, uh, it was taught difficult for all of the Kurdish students yeah. from these times until today. When I look back today, uh, I am amazed at how I struggled as a child uh, towards this language problem. Mm. But to sum up, Kurdish children are still facing this uh, problem uh, in the 21st century. It sounds unbelievably hard. I can't even imagine starting school and not knowing the language. I mean, it's just, it's unthinkable, really. You mentioned that you, you found this poem that you loved when you were in high school. When did you first start to think about poetry and, and get interested in poetry? Yeah, as I uh, said before, uh, I became interested in poetry in high school. When I started high school, I fell in platonic love. <laughs> <laughs> and this platonic love lasted for four years mm. uh, in those years I started writing poems and reading poetry books uh, to make myself good in a way mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, poetry made me feel good uh, mm. in the loneliness of those days after some time poetry never left my life again uh, I gave poetry readings at events, activities in high school. Mm. Uh, poetry was a different language of life for me, and I love this language very much. Amazing. And do you have a poem that you still remember that you wrote from that time that maybe you could read it to us? Obviously, you can read it in, in Kurdish, or it doesn't have to be in English, but it would be so nice if there's one you remember. The poem by Ahmed Arif. I have worn shackles from your longing. Uh, I want to read this. I have worn shackles from your longing. Let me put blue trusses in your hair, one side to the other, this way and that. If I could shoot you to bottomless wells, to flowing star, down to a matchstick, to the loneliness wave of the ocean, he fell on a matchstick. He has lost the charm of the first loves, lost kisses. He has no share in the evening that descends suddenly, a glass, a joint, for those who drift away. If I could describe you, your absence is the other name of the hell. I am cold. Don't close your eyes. Wow, that is such a beautiful poem. Thank you so much for sharing it. And um, I can see how it could have, you know, captured you as a young, as a young child. Thank you. So Nadim, you, you then grow up and you, you become a journalist. Could you tell us a bit about why you, why you moved into journalism? What interests you about it? 
And maybe you could talk to us a bit more in the wider context of what is happening to Turkish communities in Turkey at the moment or and as you began your career. Georgia, uh, I graduated from university in 2012. When I graduated and uh, went to my hometown uh, named Hakkari at the borderline, there were clash between Kurdish guerrilla and Turkish security forces. Where there are clashes, as you can predict, right violations never stop and civilians suffer greatly from the clash. Uh, this rule applies everywhere in the world, not not only for the Kurdish people or the Kurdistan, for everywhere. Uh, for decades, the Turkish state uh, has been uh, denying the Kurdish their most basic and human rights for years. I couldn't stand it anymore and decided to become a journalist to give voice uh, of the Kurdish people mm. because there were very few journalists in the region. Yeah. In fact, a large number uh, of Kurdish journalists were arrested uh, when I first began journalism. I picked up a pen, uh, maybe a pen of one of Kurdish jail journalists, I don't know, uh, and started to write about what was happening uh, in all its nakedness. Mm. Uh, this was sort of my journalism. I yeah. And so you began your work as a journalist and in a sense you you started to write about the the victims you know the, what was happening to to kurdish people in turkey and and how they were becoming victims of of such oppressive force from turkey but you yourself then became a victim of the state can you maybe tell us a little bit about the events that led to your arrest in in may 2016 in Turkey, especially since the spring of 2015, with the spread of armed conflicts, there have been intense violations of rights. Uh, I went from Istanbul to my hometown to follow this closely and uh, publicize this. I worked as a journalist on the borderline. It was very risky, but uh, there were no journalists. Uh, more people are killed. Uh, there were more violations of rights every other day. I was doing rights-oriented journalism and therefore the state forces that were committing rights violations started to feel uncomfortable with me. Mm. Uh, the most important and symbolic of this was a, a footage, video footage. Special operations police raided a construction site and tortured Kurdish workers. After that, the police constantly harassed and threatened me. Finally, in the spring of 2016, a curfew was declared in the city center. Violations of rights went through the peak. Na neighborhoods were bombed. I wrote about it and the police threatened me with death mm. via social media. Shortly after this the death trap, I was detained under torture. They tried to kill me in custody, uh, but after public pressure, they admitted that uh, they had detained me. Mm. Uh, on uh, May 13, 2016, I was arrested and brought to the prison. It's absolutely shocking, and I'm I'm so sorry, first of all, that you went through that. 
And thank you so much for talking about it with us today. I know it must be incredibly hard. And of course, once you got arrested, things got even worse. You went through, I mean, the most unfair trial, I think. I, I read somewhere you said it was a trial uh, only by name because of what they did, which is basically, I don't think your defense wasn't translated, I think, into Turkish. There was no evidence of a crime that you committed and the prosecution witnesses were forced into testimony with some being threatened with rape, others being tortured into giving a witness statement. If it's if you can, and I know it's, it must be incredibly hard to talk about, but if you can just tell us a little bit about what your feelings were at that time and, and what happened next. I think this is the, the difficult question among all. Of course. And if you don't uh, want to answer it, please no, don't feel no. that you have to. I waited for justice for months, for years, uh, within the thick walls of the prison. Mm. I had no expectations, but uh, I never lost hope. Uh, you know, expectations and uh, hope is mm. different, different yeah. things. I had no expectations because I knew that the judiciary of Turkey would not make a decision independent of politics. Because their decision against me it was sentenced as politic. Mm. But I never lost hope because uh, hope has to do with the hurt, not anything else. The trial process was full of right violations, as you said. They gave me a heavy prison sentence. Instead of awarded me for the footage, which went all the uh, public opinion of Turkey, but they, they charged me. They give me a penalty without any concrete evidence. The court sentenced me to eight years and uh, nine months in prison. Even now today, if I were tried with the same case, if I, I were judged today again, I could be acquitted mm. because there was no crime. Yeah. There was no crime. But I was tried under conditions of conflict and the state of emergency in Turkey in uh, those years. There was nothing in the say in the name of justice in these years. We objected and took the case uh, all the way to the European Court of Human Rights. But I finished the sentence and I was uh, released one year ago. I was in prison for six years and seven months. But the European Court of uh, Human Rights still hasn't given me an answer. And maybe my grandchildren will see justice. I don't know. But I can say I, I don't know. No matter what the decision is made from now on, it will not bring back all my lost years. What a pity. Hi, I'm Hossam Fazula, co-founder of Bosla Arts. I'm very happy to announce that our latest issue, The Brink, is now out. The Brink features the work of seven Ukrainian artists who contemplate the impact of Russia's full-blown invasion of Ukraine on their lives and work. As an Art Persists podcast listener, you can get 15% using the code TAP with double P. That's T-A-P-P. Order now at boslaarts.com. That's B-O-S-L-A-A-R-T-S.com. Now back to the podcast. It's just, again, I'm going to use the word unthinkable to think about what you've gone through. I know that you spent, you know, they 
forced you to be in isolation for a huge amount of the time and I can only imagine just how traumatic the whole experience was for you. I read that you know you spent a lot of your time reading and writing and so much of you published so many amazing poems during that time. What what was the role of poetry for you while you were imprisoned? Georgia, I was behind uh, iron bars under severe uh, isolation in a solitary confinement for a long time, somehow struggling to survive and survive. I was constantly reading books. Mm. At the same time, an ocean of words from everywhere, imagination comes to my brain and my mm -hmm. heart and accumulated inside me, this yeah. ocean of words. Sometimes I could finish a poem in a stand, but sometimes I worked uh, on a single poem for months. <laughs> I wrote down what I went through. As I wrote, I lived again. Mm. Poetry became a resistance against injustice for me. Poetry made me look to the future. Poetry opened a window of hope mm. for me. I don't know how to define all of this, but poetry is resistance and hope for me, in short. Yes, absolutely. And it's kind of, I guess, the power of the pen, isn't it? It's um, it, You can express yourself and it can also be used as a form of, I guess, escapism from, from the situation, you, the awful situation you were in. Would you like to read a poem that you wrote during that time? I know that uh, Let My Heart Give Life is is translated into English. Would you perhaps want to read it for us? Yes, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Let my heart give life. Let your heart be a volcano pouring streams of lava upon the cold face of pessimism. Let it melt the mountains of ice between our hearts or give shock effect as a cold shower. To the mummified ghosts roaming over the country, let your heart be a remedy for a chain reaction of happiness. To those who fight, let it be a resistance. To the captive in the interrogation, let it be patience. To those with a set of days left, let it fill the moans of the unhappy with heaps of laughter. Let your heart be so mighty that it shelters mountains of hope. Let your heart become the earth and pour elixir into your veins. Bring fertility to the soil. From the springs behind the mountain of Kav, let the benevolence of the crops be the silver key for life. Let your heart soothe the farmer, the peasant, the bay, laborer, the distressed. Let it massage the broken wings of birds with ointments. Let it grant refuge to the ants working collectively in solidarity. Let your heart fill with generosity, giving butterflies an extra day of life. Let it be a lifeline like the womb. Let your heart be crystal clear as clear water spring to the barren forever. Let it suckle milk from the sun's pure breast and feed the needy 
Let your gods give life to the lifeless. Nadine, that is such a beautiful poem. Thank you so much thank you. for thank reading you. it. And it feels so powerful to, when, when you recite it. So thank you so much. Just to check, when what year did you write that? When when did you write that poem? I wrote it in 2017. 2017. Under the emergency law in Turkey. Yeah. And behind I when I first began this poem, I was under aggravated isolation inside a small cell. Mm. And still that kind of it's what you mentioned about the the hope, having hope and and yeah. that poem I think speaks so much to you know the power of hope especially when you know forces are trying to crush your hope. So it's it's really really strong. Thank you so so much for sharing it. And I want to now bring on uh, a guest, another guest, Ege Dunda, who is not only a former guest on this podcast, we had a lovely episode with Ege before, but is also a contributor to our second issue of our magazine called Beyond Resilience. And I was thinking we could read together uh, Ege's submission in that magazine because Ege submitted a, a translation of one of your poems and also then published a letter he wrote on your release. And they're so, they're both so beautiful and I think share this sense of real solidarity between the two of you, who I don't believe you, you hadn't met before until after you were released. Is that correct? No. That's correct. Yeah, we hadn't met before. And uh, thanks for inviting me, including me uh, in this. It was really special for me to first hear of Nedim years and years ago. It was mm. uh, a pen case. I was just a, a caseworker at Penn International. And there was just so much voice, noise around Nedim being lost. Uh, I remember the first time I heard his name was the hashtag, where is Nedim Turfent? Mm. And I was like, who is, why is people looking for a guy called Nedim Turfent? And then I looked in and it suddenly seems that, uh, yeah, he's a journalist who got lost in the region. And as he said, very few people were reporting out of the conflict region anyway. And I think they were trying to do a chilling effect to do this to Nedim, to make sure nobody else does it because, you know, this is what happens to you. So it really enraged me in a way that I wanted to do, to do anything I can. We let Penn know and, you know, Penn does good campaigning, was able to uh, voice his, his, his voice a bit louder, but already there was um, hundreds of his colleagues and people that standing up for him. And I think that is so important for the world today as well, that um, when somebody's voice is taken away, that others claim and make it louder. Mm. And I think just the fact that Nedim was so engaged over every year, he was writing every letter a response, he was writing poetry, he was writing about his conditions, his brothers and sisters' conditions in the region. So he didn't sit silenced by prison. Yeah. They couldn't take this away, his voice away from him. So all we could do was just to make it louder if we can. But it was very special in a way that meeting him in person felt like a lost brother to mm. me because we wrote so many letters back and forth and all the letters were so candid. I mean, I often found 
myself in a depressed mood and I felt guilty for this depressed mood because I have my freedom but he was there trying to console me under all these conditions he was saying don't worry you know you will find a home you will you know get this and that whatever and it just was like I should be the one comforting you I mean come on but he really had so much things to uh, so he was there for me you know mm -hmm. and so it's definitely not a one-sided relationship so when he came that also felt like an extension of us meeting each other was uh, just just so special and we can talk more about that but uh, I'm just very grateful that's all I have to say that's amazing and Ege I, I should say that you yourself are a fantastic poet uh, you're oh, an activist no, <laughs> and you're you. also a board member of Penn International um, so you're really part thank of you. Penn family so Nadim would you perhaps like to read Searching Trails of You first and then we could hear Ege's uh, letter to you yeah thank you after I guess speech, I am worthless. Mm. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> don't be silly. <laughs> Solitude touches my heart within me, somewhere right in there. A thin wailed egg, a tender melody. How must I explain in tar black darkness? I told in your absence, your absence and adventure upon an obscured end. I fall whistling onto empty pages, line by line in your absence. Turns out to write about you, to touch upon your absence is heavy labor for me. Today, writing about you, a shattering state, a scarlet face, to swallow tongue in this fertile page, I live in the front lines of your absence. Easier said done on the crestfallen shores of my eyes. I long for you. In a cell the size of a palm, a word of longing. In your absence, in the joy of the smuggled tea at sunset, you enlighten my shrunken horizons. In your imagined existence, you make salmon, and their hellhounds swim upstream, me wrap in lies asleep. In the earth's pulsating carotids, as water flows underground, invisible, without a face or a voice. As I think, as I dream, I can't be contained to the length of lines, my bones won't hold, my body without a skeleton, timeless, powerless. I zone out to the skies, my body under my eyes arrest, dappled night stars, August in all seasons, warm yellow prevailing, minutes don't chase each other, your memoirs in my heart, very, their heart-wrenching photos where we met fall away, memories are pillars of the future, I'm seeking trace of you, about you. Amidst all the mass of chaman, yearning as a resistance, falls from the tongue, from the parakeet's beak, to the mosquitoes perching in the hater's core, I seek trace of you in vain. In your absence, everything is touching. Now you are far as history. Wow. Thank you so much, Nadim. That's 
just so powerful. Your poetry is so powerful. It yeah, leaves right. me really. leaves me wordless, speechless. Can I say something? Yes. Uh, through all of my life, I read poem in English for the first time today. <laughs> really? No Amazing. <laughs> you read it so well. I think Dean. it's going to be something you have to keep doing. <laughs> I feel so honored. Yes, so me too. Yeah. How does it feel to, to, to recite your poems in English? I'm trembling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. Okay, do you want to maybe read your, your response? Sure. Um, yes. <clears throat> this was after <clears throat> years of um, his arrest and then he was finally got news of his release. And obviously there was happiness, but a very bittersweet kind of happiness. Um, and so I... Yeah, I wrote this on 29th November 2022, on the day of his release. Today, my brother Nedim Turfent is free, after nearly six years behind bars. I feel ashamed to say nearly, for each day must have been sheer tyranny for him, especially those he was kept in solitary confinement. For the past 2,392 days, my brother Nedim, whom I've never seen, a poet, a journalist, a sibling, has been in prison. He was my age now when they took him in, 27. I tried to imagine what I would do if in the next five years I would be imprisoned, unable to fathom how I'd hold on as he did, to a light, to truth, to poetry, hope and solidarity, while much else decays and turns grim in the slow passing of time, of solitary confinement. Nedim, my brother, lived through all of this earnestly, innocently, as trial after trial relied on 18 secret witnesses to convict him, 17 of whom later testified their testimony was taken under torture. Nedim wrote poetry. He wrote countless letters to me and many people across the country and the world who wrote to him for support. He wrote back to each and every one of them tirelessly, month after month. Nedim wrote on. Poetry, journalistic dispatches from jail, speeches to awards accepted abroad in his name, in his absence. He wrote, as I moved cities, had love affairs and heartbreaks, holidays, concerts, club nights, home-cooked meals in friends' houses, walks in parks and lakes, dinners and lunches out at favorite restaurants. It makes my blood boil that all that and more was taken from him, simply because of reporting. The truth. The title of Nedim's first poem that I read was let my heart give life to the lifeless. He wished his heart to have a cold shower effect to the mummified ghosts roaming the country. This young man held unjustly under horrendous conditions for years on end was consoling the reader in his poems, comforting me in his letters for my troubles. This I still find astounding, like one of those moments when the human stars shine that Stefan Zweig wrote about, of which there are countless minuscule cracks through a titanic darkness. I suggest strongly, dear reader, to read his poetry, honor his bravery, and write to others unjustly imprisoned just like him. It doesn't need to be political. This is activism. In the contrary, it can be very human. Remember well and don't go forgetting the uphill struggle of truth, poetry, and innocence against even the darkest forces in the darkest of places. Thank you so much, Ege. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's... um. Oh, I just remember reading that for the first time as well, <laughs> almost crying. Um, and I think it, I think it 
first of all, it's really amazing having you share that, share Nadim's work also in the in the issue of the magazine because it mm. it also shows like the importance of of using your your voice also to using yeah. your voice to share the work of others, but also mm. kind of drawing this importance of of sending solidarity letters to people who are imprisoned. I think mm-hmm. um, a lot of people don't don't I guess don't think about it or don't think about why that would be so important. Um, no. And the thing was, Nedim is like an antidote to me. I mean, he has been when the world got so darkness all around and difficulty. I think of him in my head, honestly, conjure up a picture of Nedim writing these poems. And he was one of those people like Louis Giabo, you could say, um, like many others that are all over the world standing up to uh, impossibility, actually, but with such, as he writes, mountains of hope in his heart. And so I just think some people that are so escapist, defeatist, who are caught up in nihilism, I don't blame them. The world looks really ugly and you feel powerless. But then you look at so many examples of people like Nidim who are in the most difficult situation said no and tried their best honestly and lovingly to make things better and other people heard that call and maybe a lot of people through history were left alone but Mm. maybe today we have a chance to not leave people alone when these things happen so if we can write to them I think it can be a life-changing experience and Nedim maybe can talk more about what it was like to receive letters there but it does mean a lot and people should do it more often to get involved somehow talk to people rather than about them right. Nedim when did you first hear that letter that Ege wrote and yeah maybe you could also touch upon what it was like to receive letters while you were imprisoned. First I want to say that when I was uh, arrested in uh, 2016 uh, within two weeks some of my uh, close friends and family members sent me letters saying that we are happy to hear that you are in prison. Why? because uh, the state tried to kill me. Mm. And when I was in prison, they say, oh, Nedim is safe. The first letters was so tragic (laughs) for me. Uh, I would like to describe receiving letters uh, while I was in prison. But believe me, uh, my vocabulary is not enough Mm. to describe such a beautiful thing. Uh, The state wanted to make me forgotten but everyone uh, around the world remembered me. I received letters from all the way from Mexico uh, to every country in Europe. Wow. Uh, imagine uh, I received hundreds of letters from 36 different countries along the prison years. Uh, receiving and responding to the letters uh, showed me how, be- how pu- beautiful and how powerful words are. It showed me how meaningless prison walls and borders are. To the hopeless now would be a disservice to so many people. Even the guards, the prison guards became so respectful and kind to me after so many letters international. Because letters were coming from all over the world and they saw they, the prison guards saw all these. There were very few good things in prison. You can predict few good things in prison, but letters are one of those rare good things in yeah. prison. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And um, there's 36, that was, it's amazing. It really, really is. 
since you've Nadine, you're now you've now been released, which is just, I mean, what a just amazing, <laughs> just fantastically. I'm sorry, I'm actually speechless after this conversation. But I just wanted to kind of end it, just seeing how you are, how life is, and whether you're writing poetry at the moment. Mm. I was released eleven months ago, in uh, twenty nine November. It will be one year free. Mm. After a short rest in the wake of my freedom, I started working as a journalist again in March wow. uh, this year. I live with my girlfriend in Istanbul now, and we met together through letters. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we became lovers one month after my release. Oh my earlier. goodness. Yeah, but uh, as I said, uh, our first contact was both of us in prison. Wow. Uh, me in one and uh, she in Izmir. Ah. Uh, in prison, yeah. It's a completely different story and it made me very happy mm. uh, from the first day till today. Anyway, back to your question. Uh, I continue to write poetry uh, after prison. I have a collection uh, in the printing stage Maybe uh, I can print it within a short time. I don't know. Uh, I need to work on it a little more mm -hmm. to be uh, sincere. I think this poetry collection will be the best one among my uh, collections. Uh, I really like it. And uh, I want to complete it as soon as possible yes. uh, and share it with uh, the readers. Uh, I wonder how the readers will uh, receive these poems, these new poems uh, that are good for me. Mm. Uh, in short, poetry is a part of life after so many years for me. Uh, I cannot do anything without poetry. Don't be without poetry, uh, you too. And I hope poetry will uh, never leave me alone through all of my life. Uh, and this is my last words poetry well they're very powerful words Nadim and I want to thank you so much for joining us today it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you I can't wait to see the new poetry collection I'm sure as you say it's going to be fantastic and really thank you again for joining us and thank you Ege for for coming on as well it's been thank so you George lovely. thanks Nadim and if I can add one word he has uh, already two collections of poetry and wants to also publish one in English so if by any chance a possible publisher was listening to this interested in it they can always get in touch um, and uh, I look forward to reading it because um, yeah he says that he focused on them and worked on a lot so I look forward to to hearing them too Thank you so much. We'd like to thank Nadim Tafen and also Ege Dunda for joining us for this week's episode. If you'd like to learn more about Nadim's work, please find links in the description. And if you want to go back and listen to our episode with Ege Dunda, please go back and find it on uh, the Arpsis podcast. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, we really ask you to give us five stars online wherever you listen and maybe leave a review as well. Only with your help can these really important stories be heard. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week with another episode.